Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Desiree. We are both mothers who run a support group for perinatal loss. Through our group, we have met many wonderful families and have had the honor of hearing about and sometimes meeting their beautiful babies. We notice that families feel relief when they can share openly and feel seen when they meet others who are telling similar stories. So we created this podcast as a space for families to share the stories of their babies. We want to honor and remember these children. We want to help you navigate your life after loss. And most importantly, we want each story to give you hope. So please join us as we share these stories of grief and love. Welcome to the Blindsided Podcast. Welcome to the Blindsided Podcast. We're your hosts, Desiree and Nicole. Hey, everybody. Today, we're here with Anna Lepe-Vick. Anna is a mom and an advocate for babies everywhere. She's the founder of Push for Empowered Pregnancy and also volunteers with Count the Kicks, Measure the Placenta, and the Shine for Autumn Act. She's going to share the story of her son, Owen, with us today. Anna, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I love your podcast. Excited oh, thanks. Here. Thank you. I want to preface it by saying that I'm not the only founder. So Push for Empowered Pregnancy, which is my other baby, is founded by a bunch of us um, bereaved parents who got together about almost two and a half years ago. And at the time, you know, there's other charities, but we just felt like we weren't able to be as vocal and impactful as we wanted to be. So we got together and started that. And we've been going hard ever since, pretty much full time, all volunteers, but it's a labor of love. And we all are just so excited that we start to see change every day that, you know, it means a lot as a lost mom. I know many of you would understand that um, just to feel like your baby has a legacy and, you know, you can still speak their name every day, which is you know, at a certain point in grief, you feel like you can't or nobody's really bringing them up anymore. So this is my way to mother Owen after loss eight years now for me. So it's been a little while. Thank you. Anna, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So I am a Latina. I'm from California originally. My family's actually in the Bay Area, but I went to UCLA and that's where I met my husband who is my rock his name is joshua and he's a southern boy actually wanted to marry a southern man so i don't know how i found him in la but i did Uh, he's awesome he takes care of the kids while i'm doing things like this but he's a very devoted father to our three children and we um, had one daughter already before lost naomi and she's 12 now and then we had a miscarriage. We had a, uh, our son Owen, perfect pregnancy and all that, which I'm sure we'll get more into. And then uh, another miscarriage. And then we finally had our rainbow baby Jackson, who is now six. So he is really an awesome little kid. I mean, we wanted to have more children, but this is where we're stopping because of our unfortunate you know, loss after loss. It just kind of wears you down. And I'm now 40. So... I think I'm good um, (laughs) having more children, but, um, and I used to work in television, which my husband also did. So that's kind of where we met in that realm of Hollywood. I was a producer for E! Entertainment Channel, and he was working for Extra at the time. So we went to a lot of events, parties, met all these celebrities, had a good time. And then, you know, after child loss, like kind of changes your perspective on everything. And like, I really didn't want to spend as much time away from home, you know, obviously we already had a daughter too. So I kind of, I very much stopped everything, of course, but 
Um, I ended up back into catering sales with a golf club, and that's kind of what I was interested in at the time. I like planning events and weddings and everything. And yeah, you know, when we lost Owen, I was just like, I can't go back there. It would be just too hard to see the same people and you know be involved with their lives after you know they thought I was going to come back and tell them about my baby, you know. So I didn't go back to work, but we did move to the Bay Area after that, just two years to be with my family, and then we realized. Uh, we wanted to try North Carolina where he's from, which is where we're now. So it's very different. I feel like out of a fish out of water or something, I just feel really out of place, <laughs> but I don't have, you know, my family support here, which is hard too, but I'm closer yeah. to DC, which is great for the charity. Cause we go there a lot for, you know, the bills and everything. So it's been nice. I can just travel to New York where most of the women live and, you know, get involved in that stuff. So we're just doing what we can, raising the kids. And, you know, my third child, Owen, is the one that takes up most of my time sometimes where I'm just dirty <laughs> work that my husband's like, come on, play with the kids. I'm like, hold on, I'm, I'll be right there. But like, you know, it's hard. I try to balance it. And like some days I don't do anything because I know I did too much yesterday, you know, but yeah. Really quick, you mentioned that Naomi's 12 and Jackson's six. How old was Naomi when you had Owen? She was around three and a half. Okay. Just trying to get like a, a I know. gap here. We had the miscarriage after too. So we were doing the thing that normal people do, I think, where you're like, mm-hmm. let's like wait a year or two, then we'll try for the next. And you always think it's going to be so easy. It's going to go to plan, you know, and then having the miscarriage, it was like, well, really crushing. And I don't think enough people talk about miscarriage, but yeah. you're just like, gosh, now that, you know, I lost that baby and now I have to wait another six months maybe to try. And so it just makes your gap bigger again. So then I'm like, okay, try again. And then, you know, pregnancy with Owen was actually great. It wasn't very, you know, nothing going on. But um, at the end, I did feel like a little bit of faintness. And I told my doctor and he's just, you just have low iron, just take more iron. But I never felt like he really took that seriously yeah at the time I didn't know about stillbirth either I didn't know babies just could die in the womb like of course I think most of us realize like there could be a complication or a genetic issue that they tell you about and then the baby passes or you know even in delivery you might think about it like you might heard of a cord issue or something but I never thought like a healthy pregnancy could just end with a stillbirth like this and Mm -hmm. so even in like that pregnancy, I'm like, why didn't I do more? Why didn't I fight more about that? Like, why didn't I say something like, dude, you should put me on a monitor because I didn't know. I didn't have no clue. Like, so a lot of women now, you know, we all look at it with hindsight. It's 2020. So you could say like, geez, Louise, that guy should have put me on a monitor. Like, well, I, you know, who knows if he would even caught it, you know, because the NST that people do nowadays just you know, it's for that period of time anyway. So I was going to say, cause even if they didn't, he could have been perfectly fine. You could have went home and an hour later, something could have. You, yeah. yeah. And then what we, unfortunately, our doctors didn't help us find a cause at the time, but we have found it out now. Like it took us five years. Cause we found out about Dr. Kleiman who does research on placenta, um, that it was actually due to cord compressions in the last days. Okay. So those card compressions, like she said, I don't know that they would have noticed it. Like it would have been, he would have been acting up maybe if the monitor was on him at that moment. And then he would have got off the cord and he would have acted normal again, which is yeah. what he was doing until the last day when it went, you know, very South. But for me, I mean, the tragedy of the death 
like it's changed us both forever, my husband and I. And I think back a lot, like, I don't know if everybody does this, but I always think about the days before and like, what could I have possibly been doing different? Was I not noticing him enough because I had a child and I was, you know, trying to entertain her running around. But, you know, so many people have that dynamic and they have a baby healthy, like, so. Yeah. I, I definitely, I, I'm guilty of that too. Like thinking back to the day before and what I was doing, like I was shopping and I felt like a weird feeling in my belly, but I would have never thought that that was what was happening, you know? So, um, I, I totally understand that. I, I think about that all the time. Yeah. Even to the minutes, you know, like I went in, so I noticed it really late at night and I told my husband, just stay home. I think I'm just being paranoid, but I feel like he's not moving hardly. Like he was always so active. So I told my husband, I'm going in, I was freaking out. I just had this intuition about it. And my daughter was sleeping already and he wasn't feeling well. So I was like, just stay here. I'm going to go to the closest hospital, just get this checked and I'll come home. Right. And like, I had no idea what it was going to happen. But, you know, they take a while to check you in and they're just telling you everything's fine. Don't worry. Because I was crying already, just freaking out. And they're like, everything will be okay. And so that even those moments, I'm like, man, why didn't they put the monitor on like right away? Like they should have ran me into you know, yeah. delivery immediately, you know. But I guess even them, like they don't expect that. Like you tell them, oh, I've been a healthy pregnancy the whole time and nobody's expecting a baby at 31 weeks to just pass away. So he was two months short of his actual due date. Um, and I still now I'm like, did that happen? How did that happen? Yeah. Oh, what the hell? Like, yeah. What the heck? Like, I'm just sitting, I say here now, even I'm like, did my son really die? Like, did I bury a baby? This is ridiculous. Yeah. Is this real life? But, yeah. It's insane. And you know, it takes a long time for the grief. Like, you know, it's obviously super heavy at first. Yes. Um, I had to be put under for surgery. So when I woke up, it was super hazy. And my husband always tells me it was like hell for him because he got there as they were, you know, trying to resuscitate and they told him to come in and they're like, come meet your son. And then the minute they figured out that he, there was a problem. So they rushed him over to resuscitate. So my husband had to watch them working on his little body and he has this image in his mind you know of his little legs pumping up and down like this is horrendous and then me laying there like I was cut open like in the blood yeah. bath you know it did it so quickly so, so traumatic he didn't know if I had died they didn't say anything about me yet and he's like okay you need to go back outside and they sat him outside and then they brought him back in again like well now here's your dead son but what <laughs> it was just like yeah, and they try to comfort him, hug him, and he's just like, get up back away from me. Like, he just wanted to beat someone yes. up. Like, how did you just let my son die? Like, I was coming here thinking maybe he's going to be in the NICU, you know, a couple months, if that. But so when I woke up, he had to be the one to tell me. So he always says, like, it was the worst because he had to see me go through that heartbreak over and over. And because I was under, I kept kind of passing out, like, waking back up and, like, where's, where's Owen? Like, what happened and he had to keep reminding me that he had died oh. and like he said I probably told you six times oh my gosh oh. yeah so, and then, so when you um got to the hospital they didn't put you on the monitor right away but how long was that time before like from when you got there to yeah. when you okay 
they took you back they took in an hour because they said after we were so mad we we're like why didn't you cut me open right away like i got there and he was already crashing like he already had a low oh. heart rate but they didn't tell me and that's the other 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 um layer of the trauma for me it's like that's birth true. trauma on top of actual like a death i have birth trauma because they didn't inform me of the process and like what was happening it was all so rushed like no communication so if anyone who's a provider you know you're in those situations i know like they had to do their protocols and they were waiting for the ob to get there as he was on call and he wasn't there so they were waiting for that whole hour and meanwhile setting up things like they were setting up the or and they were doing an ultrasound on me to see why the baby wasn't you know reacting properly or like why the heart rate was so low but they they hadn't informed me of anything so until the doctor got there and they asked like what's this heart rate at you know and then the nurse was kind of annoyed that the other nurse was like interrupting her ultrasound <laughs> remember that because i'm like what's going on here uh, but she's like yep it's it's down to like 50 and then oh they gosh. all flew in and they were like pulling me out you know to, on a stretcher like surgery and the doctor was like we're taking you in. This is like the, what we need. I'm like, what? He's too young. Like I was just worried about him being young, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, well, this is his chance. You know, he, we don't know what's happening in there. And I'm like, but I didn't even, my husband's not here. How's he not going to be here for the birth of his son? Like, like, well, you can call him, but he probably won't make it. I'm like, well, okay. So I had to call him and speak and I'm like freaking out. And my husband's like, don't worry, I'll be there as soon as I can. And he got a friend to come watch my daughter and ran over there. Like, again, it was only like five minutes from the house. So he got there while it was all happening pretty much. But he always is so angry too, because the NICU doctor who's supposed to be resuscitating our son got in the elevator at the same time as he did. And she was just moseying in like nobody's concern at all as she's checking in with the nurse station. And he's meanwhile frantic looking for the room and he beat her to the room and she didn't get to this bedside till 14 minutes after my son was born. Yeah. Oh my gosh. For the whole hour, right? So they had a plenty of time to get her there. And she, of course, was still not acting like it was urgent. But she's after, you know, like, oh, well, the nurses knew what they were doing. They did the same thing I would have done. Like, I trained them. What? They did the same training. And I'm like, but they couldn't do everything that you could have done because she did, you know, you could put um, medication through a tube to the umbilical cord. Yes. Yes. All that, mm -hmm. but only the doctor could do that. Yeah. And so when she did that, she actually got a heartbeat out of my son. So had she done it immediately, he would have been able to mm -hmm. wholly bounce out of it. But like she did it 14 minutes in, it was too late. It was obviously enough damage to everything. So yeah, I always re really blame her a lot. And it's been hard, like, because he always wants, like everyone tried their best, you know, but I don't feel like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to feel that way. Do you know that it was 14 minutes because of you had read like the um, medical records after after the yeah. fact that and we everything? confronted her about it everything i tried to get in trouble a little bit you know with the medical board and all that but they're like oh well technically she had up to like 30 minutes according to like what the standard was she not is. in house i have no idea and they have yeah but there has to be a a, a neonatologist in the nicu I mean, at all times you know what i mean there was a nicu so there, she had she didn't be. treat it like it was a life to lose is like a statement that one of the doctors shared with us recently. And I like it. He said, every, we should treat every pregnancy like a life to lose. Absolutely. I don't feel treated oh. like that at all. So it's sad. And then, you know, we try to find out after like what happened and they're just like, Oh, we don't know. Sometimes healthy babies just die. And they kind of cried with us and like, 
but you know, talk to Sarah out of the autopsy because, oh, we don't know if that's going to find anything out. And you might, this woman told us like all the horrible things about it and didn't really inform us about what could potentially be helpful what about it. Find so out. Course, yeah. Yeah. We're in grief and we're just like, okay, no, don't mess with our son then if you don't think it's going to help. Like, why? So we didn't do that. So that's why we had nothing to go with. And like, they wouldn't review anything with us after, which, you know, we met with them. We finally got a meeting and they had like no paperwork, nothing to talk about other than just say, we don't know. We're so sorry. We don't know what happened. He was healthy. You know, he's perfect. 18 and a half inches long. Very cute. Oh my gosh. He was going to be a long little boy. He was going to be tall. The research I got later from Dr. Kleiman, he was like large for gestational age. Yeah, like sounds like it. Placenta, which is another random thing, but he died from cord compressions in the last days, which we finally found out through this research. So it took us five years to find out anything. And then since then, I've used that obviously in my advocacy because I'm like, let's measure the, you know, placenta. Let's look at what's going on in there or let's look at the cord. Like, and I know a lot of what we're saying, it's not like evidence based stuff yet which is so frustrating because they're like well not enough people are doing research you know so do the research that you need Mm -hmm. to do if you need that but it's common sense to us when you look at stillbirth like the majority are caused by placenta or cord issue you know and then the rest they say oh we don't know 50 percent, we don't know the cause well they're not really trying so the ones we do know it's a big issue and they're not really paying attention to the placenta or the cord in most pregnancies so for me, that's why I focus so heavily on stuff like that, even if they're going to throw it in my face, like, you need more research. Oh, well, they gave me the money and I get, let's get yeah. some research going. Like we're trying to get bills passed right now just to get some funding for that because it's true. I mean, yeah, you don't want everyone doing practice that's not researched enough. But then again, like it's common sense to me, like so many court accidents, you know, you should look at the court once in a while, I would assume, but yeah. Um, were you a part of the podcast on um, at a total loss before? Yeah, I've been that. Mm-hmm. Um, be- so that's so I'm just wondering how people find out about Dr. Kleiman because that's where I heard um when she interviewed him and then people have used mm-hmm. um his services for their own. Um, yeah, we've been talking. I mean, he's one of our board medical board. Oh, that's so that's awesome! Me. Yeah, we've been trying to get his name out a lot. I'm trying to find more people, but the thing is there really aren't that many trained pathologists in our country. So that's another part of the shine act that we're trying to get past is to train more people. So they can give people answers. So it's like, this is a very complicated issue. And I feel like, unfortunately until now, because we're not going to let them do it anymore. People have just like been like, Oh, well, we don't know what happened and it's just too hard. And we just don't have the information. We don't have the data. So they just give up. It's like a fatalist mentality. Like we don't, we can't save these babies. I'm like, well, I'm very sorry to tell you, like it's going to stop now because people like me and other, you know, a lot of my group were very loud mouths. Like, I don't care who I upset anymore. Like my son should be here. And the fact that everyone's just like, Oh, well, we didn't know. Like, I mean, there's been other organizations around before my son died and I hadn't heard nothing about stillbirth. So yeah. we're trying to be like really vocal on social media. Like, thank you for having us on this podcast. Like anywhere I can talk, I talk because, you know, it sucks to keep reliving trauma. Like tomorrow I might be out with a migraine all day, but I do it because, you know, my son mattered to me and I'm not just going to let him die in vain. Yes. Yeah. You're here to help the next person also. Like you don't want somebody to go through what you went through and maybe even, I think it's really 
crazy because um going back to the out of total loss podcast i was listening to the one episode i think today it was and um the mom was saying how she worked at the hospital as a photographer where she lost her baby and the doctor that she kind of blames um just not taking her seriously she has seen her um after she had already like she she you know she wrote a um a, a formal complaint about her and she said she's seen her and all she really wants is just to say, I'm really sorry. Like, I, I I, could, I'm going to do better. Like, I'm sorry that that I didn't do better. Just say, I just don't understand that you can't, if I do something wrong, I'm the first to apologize. You could walk into me in the store and I'll say, I'm sorry to you. <laughs> you did it, but I'm going to apologize. So it's just like that. It's like, like, just as a human, can we not apologize or learn? Yeah. Well, that's exactly how I felt after. Cause I was like, first of all, mm-hmm. I need to know, I need to know why my son died, but mm-hmm. also you don't know. And now you're going back to work and you're doing the same thing. You're telling everyone mm-hmm. your, your birth, it's going to be like a sure thing. Like everything looks perfect. Everything's textbook. And yeah. you're doing the same amount of tests on that woman. You're not really giving her any extra time. You're not really explaining kick counting. You're not doing anything, you know, that I think you should be doing. So it really bothered me. Cause I'm like, this sucks. Like there's just going to be more babies lost after Owen. And that's like, what can I do about it? They wouldn't even talk to me. You know, they wouldn't hardly return an email. It was like all through their risk management, but that's the big problem with this business. It is a business. It's for profit in our country. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of people involved. The doctor might have a good heart, but then there's the lawyers to tell them not to speak to the parents because they might sue them. And mm-hmm. you can admit any yeah. bit of guilt, then they're going to come after you. Well, I just want to tell all the freaking lawyers in the world. First of all, most of us don't have rights for our babies. I don't know every case, but for stillbirth in California at the time, my son had no rights. So I couldn't sue for him. I could only sue for very measly 250000 for my pain and suffering. And no lawyer would take my case. I called, trust me, uh, maybe more than 50 people. And then finally, one really nice man called me back and said, I know you're probably being your head against the wall. Why isn't no one helping me? Because you have a case, but it's not being taken and this and that. He said, well, it's just, honestly, it's the cap because by the time we get everything figured out, we get the medical, you know, people to come in and speak about like your issue. It's just going to cost so much money. You're not going to get anything out of it. We may not even cover ourselves. Wow. At the end of the day, I didn't want money. I wanted justice and I wanted change. Mm -hmm. And like now that I'm learning about it, because I've spoken to like the birth trauma lawyers and stuff, I'm like, man, could I have maybe sue for birth trauma. I had a lot of that, you know, and they're like, yeah, but if they made you sign something like, cause usually they try to settle out of court, you would sign something and then you wouldn't be able to speak about it again. And like, that would be worse Mm. because no amount of money can replace Mm -hmm. my son. If you can Uh give me $50 billion, I wouldn't be happy still. But the fact that I can talk about it and save babies, like that's much more valuable to me. And I create some kind of change, you know, and, like if I ever get a notice, like I do sometimes people say like, oh, I heard something you guys said. And, you know, my child's here now, like that is irreplaceable, obviously. So like it sucks for people that, you know, maybe they do sue and then they get the money and then they get silenced and then they can't tell anyone like anything to prevent this kind of stuff. But now that I know that I'm kind of like, OK, good thing it didn't work out that I didn't sue at the time because I was very angry and I wanted someone to pay in some way. And that was the way that you usually think, you know, but yeah. You think you're right like we don't really want a lawsuit like we just want people to say yeah man that sucks like this we missed this and now we're going to do this different and thank you and you're yeah. yeah. going to have 
an impact here in the care, you know, but it's the system keeping them from saying that. I think that part of the mentality too in the hospital, just from working there as a nurse in L&D is like, not that people don't want to say they're sorry, but it's like taught, like you don't say you're sorry because then you're admitting that you did wrong. And, and I think that that's why so many providers don't apologize um, or, and not saying that I'm sorry I did this to you, but I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm sorry that this is happening. If I could change it, I would, you know, I think just even that conversation would just open up, you know, a whole other dialogue and, and a lot of trust mm-hmm. too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even much later, you know, <laughs> after I found out why Owen died, I reached out to the doctor because I'm like, why didn't he contact me when he received this from Dr. Climate? Like you would think if you got some information on the loss that happened a long time ago and you're kind of like, Oh wow, someone found this out and now I have that relief because really I feel like it would have been a relief because he said on his report it was core compression something that is really hard to detect and and prevent well this man never contacted me so I contacted and I had a like one-on-one like this like a zoom and I was like I just wanted to talk to you and the whole time he was just looking at me like I was like I had three heads like why are you even bothering me like why are you calling like what do you want from me a very nice man, but I think he was just kind of like dumbfounded. Like, what do you want me to do with this? And I'm like, well, I want you to use it. Like now, you know, the core compression. Yeah. So like, maybe you can teach people more about key counting than you did with me. Because I remember at the time, I'm like, I don't think they ever spoke about the importance for sure, but how to actually do it. And he said, yeah, I think I put a pamphlet in there. Like, that's what we normally do. When you get pregnant, you get a pamphlet of information. Oh and like, well, mm-hmm. I, I knew about it, but also it was never an issue because my son was so active, which is another, like, it's a myth that people kind of feel like, well, my baby's moving on, so I don't need to do that. Or my baby's healthy or I'm low risk. I don't need to do that. Like every pregnancy should be told. Everybody who's pregnant should be told. Kick count every day after 26, 28 weeks, wherever you want to start. If you have a pattern of movement, notice a change, come in, whether it's more or less, come in. It's so simple to do that. And I don't know why it's just so much like paternalism still where people think oh we're gonna freak out all the women they're gonna be so nervous all the time like I'm sorry to tell you we're all nervous anyways like there's one thing or another (laughs) see like I had terrible things with my first I was scared forever because you know they see things on ultrasounds and they have to tell you and then you have to worry about it until it works out or it doesn't you know but that's the thing with this kick counting and stuff you're like well we don't want to give them unnecessary stress like really you're actually empowering the mom. You're telling her some information. You're telling her how to do it. She can act on it if she feels something. You're going to trust her because she's going to have, you know, the knowledge and she's going to tell you it's different today. And then you're going to look at it and like figure something out, you know, but it's still very, I don't know. People don't seem to think that moms can handle to know about stillbirth, which, you know, is part. Yeah. Because if you go in, um, if you go in your OB's office um, and I've been pregnant, years and years ago so it's a long time ago but there was never anything that said like uh there was never pamphlets about it was just pamphlets about like you know breastfeeding and bottles and formula and there was never any literature about loss and now here you know 22 23 years later i you know i doing this i know that like one in four people lose their pregnancies oh my gosh you should have some sort of literature laid out for loss and and let people know like this does happen like you said and the kick counting all i remember is that my baby move 
kicked. I didn't know that you had a kick. I didn't know. We were starting to see how cute it was. And then, yeah, you're like noticing movement, like what they like, what foods they moved around with, you know? No one made you clearly aware that that's like really closely related to the the health of the baby and yourself. Sometimes it can be, you know, life-saving for a, a a mom as well, but yeah, so we're working on right now uh, push for empowered pregnancy on a tip card that we want to put in hospitals and you know wherever we can get them, and we've yeah. been struggling with it because you know we want to put what we wish we knew, which is a lot, and we want to put it like blatantly because we think people tiptoe around it too much, and then you don't really get it and you don't really take it too seriously. You're like, well, that's gonna that's not gonna happen to me, you know? That might right. happen to someone who's having not coming to her appointments or not taking her vitamins or who has had some kind of complication like preeclampsia and they noticed it or something, but we want it to be where everyone knows, you know, this is a serious matter. It happens to one out of 170 pregnancies. It doesn't have to though. It's preventable in like at least a fourth, you know, probably much more. So, but yeah, we haven't finalized it yet. Cause we keep looking at it. Like, would it be weird if we handed this to a woman who's pregnant right now, who doesn't know about loss? And we're just like, here, read about stillbirth prevention don't get scared. It's important. Like read this stuff, you know? So like we've been, you know, I have it. I don't know if you've seen it in my stories, but I've been sharing it and getting feedback. You know, mostly I lost moms follow me a lot. So they're like, it's great. Yeah. We wish we had this, but you know, I've been passing it to people who are not lost parents too. Like a mommy labor nurse, one of our collaborators that we just loved. And she, they said, yeah, it looks good to us. I'm like, okay, well, as long as the whole world doesn't like throw them in the garbage because they're too scary, but we think that they're important. Like you need to talk about stillbirth to have awareness and to prevent it. So maybe those will be in offices soon. (laughs) So an untapped resource, and this is only from experience. I am a portrait photographer for, you know, 20 years in my studio. I have um, the count the kicks um, because we have an ambassador in New Jersey. So I have her cards by my studio door because I get, I only do maternity newborn pretty much, but Maternity photographers are an untapped resource because we can just leave it out. I'm personally not nervous to say, hey, you know, take this card with you. It's really important just to stress it because we see them around like between 28 and 32 weeks, uh, which is a great time to give them that that information. And also um, 3D, 4D ultrasound clinics because they generally start seeing patients around – I know the one near us that volunteers her time for families who have like – what do you say? Like a – fatal mm-hmm. how do you put that a diagnosis yeah uh, you know fatal condition she'll, she'll volunteer her time and do like the the heartbeat bears and things but she starts ultrasounds between six and ten weeks yeah. so she also has that information so like those kind of places are really where you're going to get these families really early and um are and are able to you're able to pass the information along um, and they look up to you they, they trust you because you see so many pregnant you know pregnant families pregnant I love people. that thank you Desiree I love that. yeah 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 no I think it's a great place to start because I don't know if the doctors I mean yeah I, I I think doctors should but do I think they're going to all the time no but I think us we we probably I know I would I know my ultrasound girl yeah. would we'll do that I'll give you a bunch and let's see how they go yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like I'm so nervous to like finalize it too because I'm like I want it to be perfect but then we can always do a new version so I yeah, think we're gonna be done Oh my gosh, you're always gonna you're always gonna redo yeah. it. Like, oh, I thought I should add this to yeah. it. Yeah, no, it's good to start. I mean, though. it's like obviously the stillbirth prevention tips are like you know sleep on your side and kick counting and mm-hmm. 
being able to advocate for yourself, being able to know like if there's something wrong with your body to report it right away. Um, but what's interesting, you know, even after I lost Owen, I got like a high risk doctor for my next pregnancies. And even in those situations, I don't remember them talking about kick counting at all. And I was now a high risk no. patient. So I think they assume maybe that I knew or that I had learned at this point that the baby could die. So I should be paying attention. So I was doing that myself anyway, in a very erratic way where I was like trying to count every kick. Don't need to do that. But I was doing <laughs> I was yeah. like obsessed with it because I was so scared. I'm like, I can't sleep. I can't miss a you know minute like it might happen again. But and I had a high risk situation. My son ended up um, I had an incompetent cervix. Then I had a cerclage and this was at the, you know, one of the big appointments. I was freaking out. You know, everyone going through pregnancy after loss, I'm sure relates with me. It's like the worst experience ever. And you want to enjoy it because you're like, this might be all I get. And so I would take right. pictures every week, you know, of my belly and trying to like my daughter would take them for me. And I was trying to really, Aww. you know, connect and everything. And then at that appointment, they told me, oh, like we need to talk about something. And I was like, great, like something else horrible. And, you know, luckily it was incompetent cervix and nothing worse than that, but that was still very scary. And I had to have the surgery on the weekends and I was dilating and everything. So it could have been a loss at like two weeks. Wow. And then I had bed rest for 17 weeks. So that was fun. Yeah. So I know how I feel wow. in those shoes because I couldn't leave the house. I missed everything with my daughter and like only yeah. got to leave the house for the appointments basically. And I got like maybe one or two. I think it was her birthday party and her dance recital that I got to go to. And then the rest, like every holiday I miss, you know, 4th of July, but it was worth it obviously, but I was losing my mind because I was so scared and I was just laying on my side all day and just like crocheted so many random things for my little boy. It's just <laughs> so funny what I put him in when he was born finally. But um, yeah. And then with that situation, I actually had, an infection at some point, which I was telling my doctor I had, and they kept telling me, no, you don't, you look good. Like we tested. And the next appointment I was crying. I was like freaking out on them. And they're like, well, what can we do to make you feel better? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm scared you're missing something and I'm going to lose another baby. And she's like, well, I have one more test I can run, but we don't think it's this. They did the test. Cause I said, like, well, please do it. You know, whatever ones you have left. <laughs> and then she called me, she's like, you were right, Anna. You have a um, GBS infection and you need medication because oh. it was really high. Um, and also I had BV. I don't know what that one stands for, but uh, bad again for the baby and me. So thank God I was so psycho about it. Like, like if I hadn't lost the baby, I would have stopped, though, because I would have taken them for their word that they checked everything, everything mm -hmm. looked good and must not be right, you know. But I was like, no do something, you know, and then they finally found it and thank God, because, you know, that could have been dangerous. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It sucks. But even with that high risk doctor that happened, so, and they were really lovely. I mean, they always did listen to me. It just, they didn't find it with the test that they thought they should be doing. So it was pretty scary. So yeah, that's why I'm done with babies. Hard <laughs> 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 enough. It's hard enough to do PAL and then do a high-risk PAL with the complications. Yeah. So we do yeah. have, um, through PUSH, a rainbow clinic that's come to from the UK. So it's actually Dr. Hazel's model of the rainbow clinic with um, the charity Tommy's is over there that supports it. 
met yeah. many of them. So we got one in uh, New York with uh, Mount Sinai and that's at like Dr. Stone is the main doctor for that. And we're, you know, we put a lot of money into that. Um, it's all set up now though. It's running and uh, we have a training that we kind of provide for them that we're allowing other people to take. You don't even have to have a full blown clinic. If you want to take the training, uh, it's push pregnancy dot thinkific.com I think is a page but you can DM me if you want a link and I can give you a free code if you're a parent you could try it out you could give it to your doctor and have them do it so it provides like trauma-informed care it's kind of a goes through like some of our stories and it has like we have reenactments like we actually had actors do some of these reenactments like what you should definitely not say in an appointment to a, a parent after loss that's and awesome it better that's yeah awesome. I was talking yeah. about you're having an ultrasound done, like communicate more because that patient is freaking out, you know, that kind of thing. So we can provide the codes or actually right now, since it's still February, you guys could look online, but it's um, a free code for anyone to take it. So if you have a doctor, a friend, a doula, anybody who deals with pregnancies after loss. I definitely have, definitely have I, in my people. mind, I can think yeah. of so many people right now that I would love to send this to yeah. who would really who really want this information yeah and it's quick it's a virtual model you know so you can go online and you can do it at your own pace mm -hmm. i think it takes like five hours max or something but um and then this yeah, is awesome yeah columbia also has a rainbow clinic coming soon and they took the training as well and then they're going to launch so we didn't provide funding for the the columbia one or la also has one now which is through dr rad um and he didn't require us to help him with launching that one so all we did was the training as well for that provided um the online training model for his staff because we want everyone to take it like from the receptionist to the doctor whoever yeah. handles the patient should be aware because you could just be told one wrong thing and it can ruin your whole yes week, you know? so, and oh, then that's amazing course, like what the actual rainbow clinics do though is a little bit obviously step up of the care which is what a lot of high-risk doctors do too anyway but um, that's going to be hopefully in the next coming of this whole year, we're going to have some meetings with Dr. Hazel and he's going to outline more because he didn't expect it to be like it is now where everyone now wants one um, in the mm. United States. Like now that we started one, then like they're starting to kind of branch out and he's like, well, I want to make sure they're doing it right and collect the data, which is also really important for them for research because what you and probably you guys know, but not everyone knows is that if you experience a loss, you're more likely to have another. And so the Rainbow Clinic in the UK actually has good rates to like, they don't have a tremendous amount of loss because of the additional care that they're providing and how they're doing it. So there is a model for care mm. that we need to do here as well. And mm. our overall hope, you know, and dream is that, you know, obviously everyone will get a Rainbow Clinic wherever they need one, but that eventually everyone's care will be like this. Like, why do you have to lose a baby to have good care? It's ridiculous. Right. We, we already know these things work and they're better. So why do we pick and choose? Obviously it's here money. It's a money issue, but you know, enough parents are like, no, I'm not going to take that little bit of care. You know, I want the third trimester ultrasound so you can make sure baby's still okay. You know, eventually our medical system will have to give in you know, because we are clients here. I mean, technically we should be able to make some demands. So, yeah. We're very excited. We are. Don't you think a lot of this just starts with ba basic empathy? Just be an empathetic person. 
It really just starts well, with that. Well, here's the problem. And, you know, it's hard because I know some people have bad experience with their doctor specifically. But I think mm-hmm. for the most part, doctors come into this for the right reasons, obviously. And they care and they work really hard to do it. And they may mm-hmm. not see all the issues, too. Like, medicine is a practice. So until you get that person in front of you with a certain weird, like me, my, you know, infection that they didn't realize was yeah um you know they're gonna learn from it but i don't think they don't mean well obviously they want to save the babies but it's the way the system Mm -hmm. is like they especially the ones with groups like they have so many patients in and out and they have to do it in this amount of time because of the amount of people they have to see to cover costs and everything so they don't really get the luxury of just chilling and getting to know me you know like i wish they would yeah and of course high-risk doctors get paid more they have more time with each patient so it's just different. I mean, dream world would be like everyone had Medicaid for pregnancy or something. So it can all be handled kind of like in the UK. The like, we're, yeah. yeah, like we all would be able to get good care, but we're not there yet. So we do little by little. So the Rainbow Clinic's kind of like a foot in the door with that. Like, let's show them how good care can be for this population of moms that should experience more loss. And they're not because we are doing a good job with that. So hopefully that'll spread. And then, um, you know, we work with the bills that are out right now, the Shine for Autumn Act and the Stillbirth Prevention Act. And we're trying to get those passed because, you know, a sad thing is that we just don't have the research and we don't have the data in this country. So a lot of times we want certain things done. They're like, well, we don't really know if that works. It's not evidence-based. Like, well, then put some money into research, you know, and then us, we have to fundraise, you know, of course, like we have to get the funding. It's just... That's so hard, you know. There's no funding into it, I, I, and I, I never understood that either. Even coming up as a nurse, I, when I was in nursing school, I remember searching for articles like related to this, and there's not, there was hardly no, anything out there. That was 13 years ago. Um, recently, I've been searching, and I, I found some articles from a nurse in Washington State, um, Nikki Berry, and she's re- uh, doing a lot of studies for like trauma informed care. We're actually going to have an episode with her coming up. Yeah. She's, I asked her, I said, how are you getting funding? And she said, grants, like we apply for grants, but there's not a lot of funding. So it's just like a work of her heart, you know? Yeah, I know. And even like for me, my issue currently is like the data mess of the country that we have where like every state collects the loss. Obviously they have to report it, but they can do it however they want right now. So not every state is doing you know, as much, like they don't, may not find out as much about the cause and put it in there. So in my world, I'm like, if you don't even have that, you can't even get started. Like, we don't even know why yeah. so many of these babies are dying. So it's going to be really hard for us to argue, like, this is what we keep doing to prevent yeah. it because they can just say, you don't know why they died. Like, well, you're not writing it down or you're not asking them to write it down. So yeah. I'm fighting for that right now. And especially because my son's death was unexplained when the paperwork was filled out because they didn't help me. It says he died of like natural causes. So like, that's ridiculous. What will that really even mean? A baby doesn't just naturally die in the womb. And so if a researcher ever even try to look at that, which they pretty much don't because they realize that's messy, you know, it's not good data. They um, wouldn't be able to use it for anything. So I was trying to get them to update it now that I know the cause. And it took a whole year for my doctor to deny me and tell me that the lawyers told her not to. So, yeah, I was like, well, that's weird. I thought you were making sure that I had the right cause. And so you were going to 
write something down here, but you just tell me you were waiting to hear from your lawyers. Like, wow. So yeah, I was pretty pissed off about it for a long time. And then, you know, I was talking to a lot of different people, but like Dr. Lauren Lindquist is one of the researchers in our country that focuses on stillbirth. She was like, well, you know, the thing is we don't really use that because we kind of know it's not the best data. So like they go obviously get grants and whatnot, and they do their research with certain hospitals and the, you know, the moms that they get signed up and whatnot, so they can get more detailed information. So like, okay, so I guess I could stop going crazy about his data being incorrect, but I do think it needs to be a change in the system because they should be going back and amending, especially within the first year before they report it yeah, to the CDC. Like, true. You find out, you know, autopsy and all that much after they filled out the initial form. So they could and that. Oh, and they never go back and amend it after that? That you know of? The process. Really? They can't. I mean, wow. it's an option. So I that's why I asked. I'm like, oh, I see you can amend it. But it's not common. And like, they were like, this is an unusual request. I'm like, yeah, because I'm an unusually pissed off mom. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want my son's information wrong anywhere, you know, like. But also. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand. Like, they know it means a lot to you. What is the, you know what I mean? What's the harm? What yeah, is the harm? Yeah, and it's ridiculous. I'm like, why are you telling your lawyers when it's eight years later? I cannot sue eight years later. Like, I have no rights. I never did. Yeah, it's not the object of it. So yeah. that's annoying. Yeah. But I'm like, really, they're not going to use it. Like, the CDC is not going to redo their numbers for 2015 for me, you know? Like. <laughs> but I do want them to start doing it from now on like now that we know there's a problem which I don't know if you guys have been watching they do have the NICHD and NIH's um, group they have the stillbirth working group they have been talking about all this stuff now looking into it and so like they're very aware now in the government apparently fairly now that there is a problem with data collection and with all these things you know for lost so hopefully now that they are admitting it that there's a problem they're going to be doing something about it so i don't have to make all these darn emails and calls all the time <laughs> so i just like the I first to talk to yeah. at the cdc and everywhere i'm yeah. like i don't even care about it for me i care about it for the knowledge that we need to yes. like do something about it so mm-hmm. we can prevent it like they say the first step is admitting that there's a problem mm-hmm. Well, you would already get that, but, you know, there's 21,000 babies a year that die at this this period where they're viable, you know? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to get political because that just muddles the water here because this is different from it. But when someone is so concerned with saving babies and they don't give money to prevention of stillbirth, I'm very flustered. So it's hard because I think they're there is a fatalism about stillbirth where people just assume like, Oh, well, that baby just was unfortunate. It just died and we couldn't have done nothing more. I'm like, no, you could have done something more. And now we're trying to make you do it, but it's too late for my child, you know, which sucks. I wish people were like us before, you know, now that we have social media, I feel like things happen the way they do, but you know, social media is a big tool now. So there's a lot of moms on, you know, I'm sure I know many of your listeners that are out there vocal on their, even on their yeah. platform. I mean, it means a lot. And I know like some people look at us like, oh, you're just angry moms, lost moms. And, you know, you're being too much. But I'm like, really? Are, am I? Like, I have an eight-year-old in heaven. Like, that's not normal. He should be here. He was healthy. Why didn't they save him? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you guys are acting like nothing happened. 
like you want the world to stop like you just want everyone to pay attention like the doctors to go through the records with you and like figure it out and if they don't of course it's going to make you angry and you know sometimes you need to be loud about it and like fortunately right now you know push I think that's kind of our role because we aren't paid we're not you know a business right now so like no one's worried about like funding being cut or something but you know we we do what we got to do to get noticed and like you know we did a onesie walk like right off the bat our first year we walked through new york i didn't get to go i was too unavailable but everyone went they had uh, onesies uh we actually did 600 i believe which is a number maybe even 800 there's a lot of onesies but we had families donate, like they sent some for their baby in honor of their baby. And they, we put them on a long line and they cool. walked through all yeah. New York city streets yeah. and people were stopping like, what is this for? You know? So that was kind of our first awareness thing. Yeah. And I we did a big gosh. push, which was How powerful. And we wow. did, everyone had empty strollers. So we walked them around the national mall and we had speeches there and I I screamed at people. I didn't know I was going to scream that day. It was so funny because I drove <laughs> up my daughter from North Carolina. So I was listening to podcasts yeah. on the way and I was listening to these like, you know, motivational speaker guys and people like who are really <laughs> amped up. And I was like, because I want to give it some energy. I don't want to get on a big stage and just talk like normal. Like, So I was listening to this people all like, you know, so I didn't even wrote my speech. And then the morning of, I was like, I should probably write something down because I might lose it for so well, emotional and trauma brain, you know, I might forget what I need to say here. So I wrote something down and I didn't even know how long it was going to be because we all had like a short time limit, you know, a lot of speakers, but I ended up coming up there and I ended up screaming at everyone. I was so upset. I was like, well, I'm going to let it out today, I guess. I'm like, I'm thinking about all the moms and dads, you know, because yeah. we don't all have there's a voice. We don't all have a stage to get on. Some of us can't. And like, yeah, there's people that message me now that just recently lost a baby. And they're like, I really want to get involved, but I can't yet. And I'm like, it's okay. Like, we'll keep going. We'll keep pushing for you and your baby. And, you know, when you get a chance, if you want to help, you can help. If you want to just do it quietly, because there's so many people yeah. needed for this work. Like, if you're a graphic designer, you want to make some posts that's fine you know if you want to share the ones we're doing that's fine like you don't know who it's going to reach like it will help somebody somewhere you know? what are uh, what are some ways that people could help if they wanted to like volunteer or help the cause with push with push we take okay. people all the time you can be a change maker you just sign up on our website pushpregnancy.org slash contact and we'll let you know when we're doing stuff right now i'm on the medical team so we're having a meeting actually tomorrow. I'm really excited because we got a lot of new faces. They're signing up to come in and plan stuff out because we do want to do stuff within the system as well. You know, what we have to work with now. So like presentations at hospitals about, you know, stillbirth prevention. Uh, we do want to do the Rainbow Clinic training and spread that everywhere. So if you have a provider, you can just, you know, tell them about that. Um, you know, we do a lot on social media. So a lot of people are comfortable. I'm, I'm doing it because I have to, like when I started yeah. this, I hated it. I didn't want to do it, but nobody wanted to really do it. So I did like five, like almost every week interviewing all these doctors and moms and everything. Like, I don't know. I went like, I can't even count how many lives I went on because someone yeah, had to do it and I did it. it. And then I was like, I'm used to it now. I'll just do it. Forget it. I'll just do it. Like, I don't care what I look like. I'm doing. 
but um you know if you're not that type of person don't worry about it. there's always behind the scenes stuff like contacting you know health departments you know being involved with the bills and stuff those are there's so many different ways but um yeah i think everybody like and you don't have to have money because some people feel like oh i didn't do anything big enough like i didn't start a charity yeah. in the name of my baby well that's okay you don't have to do that like that is not the way for everyone and you know your child still matters whether all you feel like you're capable of doing is just like forwarding a post to a friend who's pregnant. Yeah. That's great. That might save that baby's life. You can't put a number on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So message me. You can always DM me. It's still my son. I love meeting new people. Although I hate meeting lost moms and dads. It sucks, but yeah, we're here for you guys. I know like, I guess a big part of why we all do this like so far down the line is like you remember what it felt like when it first happened to you and you were so alone and yes. like why did my child die you know and like you feel like a black sheep of your community and everything but like there are so many of us and you know you will get through it one day it's like a day-by-day process or hour by hour but you know it's super hard I know I, I cried so much Anna, if someone contacted you, not about the advocacy work, but just as a person and just wanted to know like what they could do to help themselves um, because they're a newly grieving parent, like what advice would you give them? My goodness. Sorry. (laughs) Well, it's weird because when people reach out to me now, they think they see my work that they mostly want answers. And I think that's really like the first step to healing for a lot of people and like I just remind them, you know, there's nothing you did. It's not your fault because I think you feel very guilty as a mom, especially when you were so closely connected to your baby that you didn't notice somehow you, you feel like you should have, like you should have done more. You could have done more. And like, that's, I think kind of what my role is of just reassuring parents. Like, Mm -hmm. first of all, if we had known, you know, we would have done it, whatever it was. Like I would have fought so hard for Owen. Like I would have given my life for him. So it's just terrible that it happened that way to anybody. But my like DMs definitely are open. And if anyone ever messaged me and I don't reply, it's because I'm thinking of an answer because I really want to give you guys that, (laughs) you know, like full attention. If my other kids are running around, I might not respond right away. But like I read every one of them and I respond to them because it's, like, I know how you're feeling. It's awful. And sometimes I don't respond. And then they're like, they, they like comment on a story or something. Like, oh, shoot. I never got back to you. I am so sorry because I was trying to find out this information you asked me about. And then I respond, you know, but like, I know yeah. how hard it is to be feeling alone in it. And that's the worst, I think, really, because, you know, in grieving a child, everyone around you still living you know and they're still going on with their life and you're stuck and you're just like and especially me I I keep going back to those days and I'm like I'm going backwards but you feel people are forgetting your child and that's like the worst Mm -hmm. feeling in the world especially around your family and stuff and you're just like why don't you talk about Owen today and then I started to you know give them grace because I'm like what else are they going to say about him they don't know what else to say he died to them he died and that's all there is to it like there's no more to question or talk about they saw some of them saw him you know so 
I think my grief has gotten easier to deal with because I stopped expecting mm-hmm. those people to know what to say, what, how yeah. to, you know, bring Owen up and stuff. And, and knowing that there are other people that are thinking about Owen, like my lost community and, you know, the work that we're doing when I talk about him, I get to talk about him. So it's, it's different, obviously, <laughs> what you would expect. You're like, yeah. I want them to call me on the birthday and do something special because you do see other people that get that kind of support and it's kind of sad you're like why don't anyone in my family think to plant a tree or something you know whatever yeah Mm -hmm. you know everyone grieves differently even your family members and people don't know what to say so yeah I kind of let people go off the hook now (laughs) like yeah I think too as moms like that you know our relationship to our children even though it's like the same they're not here our relationship changes as the years go by like we do other things for them. Like, even though they're not here, our relationship is still evolving and changing. Um, and, and we're growing as their parents and their advocates. And, um, I think it's hard for family because they don't have that same connection that we do to our babies. And, you know, I I have definitely been bummed out that, you know, they don't, they don't talk about her anymore. It made me sad for the longest, but now, you know, I've, kind of extended grace to them that, you know, it's, it's different for them. And my relationship with her is still changing every day. You know, I'm doing new things for her. I'm remembering her in new ways. Even I forget things. And then I remember, Oh God, I remember that happened, you know, so it it is hard. And I think what our community is doing too, is helping people that like normalize mothering and parenting after loss. Like I, feel like initially like because this was a while ago for me but eight years ago I didn't see that much on social media I didn't know anyone so I didn't really know how to proceed like how am I supposed to first of all live but also like be a mom to Owen I don't know what else to do and I, I didn't have the funds to just go start something big or you know I did walks I did whatever I could but I always felt like I would see others that did have a charity or that created something like they made jewelry really nice. And I was like, why can't I think of a yeah. way to honor Owen? Like I felt uh. so like a loser, <laughs> like, I'm not for him, you know, and it's silly, but like, I just, you know, I wanted to mom be his mom. I wanted to do something big for him. You know, I mean, really with this charity, like we're barely starting. I mean, it's only like two and a half years old, but we're doing pretty big things. And, even doing those things it's not about them being big or not it's just the impact you you want like you want to see somebody doing something and preventing it because I don't want people to suffer like we all have it's just so tragic knowing tonight 65 more babies didn't come home you know and I don't forget that so and even when we go to you know we're meeting with legislators all the time and I'm like well, while you think about this for another week or so, just keep in mind how many babies you guys are letting die. Because we could be doing something about it, like with Kick County, Count the Kicks. Like if every state had it right now, you know, they've been a significant law, um, rate reduction in their state, Iowa. Like it's proven, it's evidence-based. So even if we could just adopt that right now, we could have, you know, a fourth of the babies here. So why let it keep happening? Yeah. How many states are um, tied to count the kicks or, or do you know how many? Exactly. I I would eyeball like uh, estimate like a half baby, something like that. But I mean, they they work really hard. They go state by state. They try to get the health department to use their funds. So that's why they're trying to pass this 
um, Stillbirth Prevention Act, which is the one that they're behind, because that will free up the money from the Title V funding, which is already existing. So we're not asking for new money. It's the money that already exists. It just don't put stillbirth prevention in that because that's the old thing. It's like from 1930s. So at that time, I'm sure they didn't even know it was preventable, you know, so they didn't mention stillbirth in this. So we want them to add stillbirth as one of the ways that they can use the funding, stillbirth prevention. So if they did that, then it'd make it a lot easier if Count the Kicks comes right. in and says, hey, use the Title V funding, you know, which they can do now. Yeah. They just have to, like, convince people to do it, which is, like, hard, you know. But um, that's why those ambassadors that they have, too, are very helpful because they are the ones, too, that live in the state and that are meeting constantly trying to push for that. So it is spreading, but, you know, it could be faster. Everything could be faster. And for us, Lost Moms, yeah. it's like it should be happening right now, you know. Like, we don't have time to waste. We don't have time for you to figure things out. Like, it's not that costly. It's really just awareness, you know? Yeah, yeah. I have to really give you guys credit, like your organization um, and everyone that volunteers with you, because two and a half years, I had no idea um, that it hasn't only been that long. But you have, everything you're saying, I'm just, like, blown away yeah, by one lot. thing. And then you add something yeah. else. I'm like, holy cow. You're doing a great job, yeah. honestly. Yeah, we don't sleep much. <laughs> we all try to work normal jobs or be with our living children all day. And then we try to get knock no. things out in between, you know, but, and it's hard to keep up with everyone, you know, that way, because we're not staff members. So it's like you can expect everyone yeah. to be in nine to five. So we like message each other really late or something, some cool idea, like, oh, and like, you just told me Desiree some ideas tonight. So I'm going to add that to my list. So you know, eventually, hopefully they all get done, you know, and that's what's so great about the change makers that join us, because that really does help us like all these new people coming in that want to that have the energy and that can take just a little piece of that, you know, project that would make it like much faster for us. You know, we're learning that too, because none of us are professional nonprofit leaders, just lost yeah, parents yeah. that care, you know, so Yes. We don't necessarily know what we're doing. We don't have a PR yet. Like we don't have no clue. Like we might say stuff we should say, you know, but we're just speaking our mind from our heart. Being honest. We mean yeah. well, you know? So mm -hmm. I say that all the time. I'm like, I don't know if I should have said that, but I mean it in the best way from my heart. Yeah. It doesn't come from a bad place. Yeah. It comes from a good place. I mean, this is a life or death situation. So at the end of the day, I don't care if people think I'm a little too much like my son died you don't know what that means unless it happened to you so yeah. i'm going to be intense <laughs> i'm going to be a little frustrated if you don't let me speak at a conference that we should be speaking at or something but yeah and that's the thing stillbirth until recently hasn't been one of the topics in maternal health that gets a lot of the attention and it's probably all based on the fact that everyone knows how hard it's going to be because we don't have good data we don't have good research but that's not a reason not yeah. to include it in the conversation, especially when the numbers are so high. Yeah, it's happening all the time. And providers are having to deal with that it happening all the time. So why not? You know, why can't we talk about it, even if there is no research? I mean, you definitely even see trends working in the field. So yeah. oh, research yeah. or not, you know? Yeah, I mean, we're getting the research, but we don't have like the big, you know, funds for it all the time. I mean, imagine like, the things that we can do with technology these days and we still use like the similar same ultrasounds or nsts that we've done for so long like things really should be evolving a lot more especially with the yeah. technology 
and there is some exciting stuff with like AI that people are looking at trying to do uh, with the ultrasounds, like where they can help kind of catch things. So we're interested oh, cool. in like what technology really can do for this. But I mean, I think really it's on the basic level where it's like awareness first, let everybody know about stillbirth and this is unfortunately a risk for everybody. Even a healthy textbook pregnancy can go wrong like mine. Like mm -hmm. uh, that way they're aware and they can be a little bit more aggressive in there, you know, bringing you information because right now it's like, guess what? The highest rates are in first time moms or in low risk pregnancies. Hmm. Probably because you didn't tell her about stillbirth. <laughs> probably. Yeah. About, you know, I'm sorry. Can I cuss here? No, she yeah. probably wasn't worried about anything. So mm -hmm. like me, I thought I was, that's why you're uh, the blindsided. I'm like, yeah, freaking blindsided. Wasn't I? Yeah. Yes, you mm -hmm. were. Um, is there anything before we end that we didn't ask you or that you wanted to talk about? I didn't even go into like all the full details of my loss because it is so traumatic for me still yeah. eight years later. And I don't know if anyone watches my videos, but I break out in hives usually at any point when I start talking about Owen because I did see that physically um, and the trauma of the birth too is still in my body. So I try not to focus on my child because this isn't about him anymore anyway. Um, I of course love him and I wish he was here. And, you know, I'll never forget his little face and, you know, the hole in our family is always there because of the gap we have between our children, you know, 12 and the six-year-old. So he would have been the perfect buddy to both of them. And, you know, Owen is, you know, looking over us and I hope, you know, proud of what we're trying to do. But like, it, it's not what I focus on every day. Like I try not to relive mm -hmm. the trauma, but when I get interviewed, you know, I do it because people want to know and they want to, you know, relate to you and they, they can learn from certain things too, you know, and the stories for prevention. But I, I really hope that moms and dads who are losing babies still, they just remember like your child will never be forgotten in like our circles, uh, regardless if you feel like it's happening in your daily life. You know, there will be people you meet along the way that will help carry that memory forward and honor them. And like, you know, even holidays, I'll get things from random friends that took a picture of a butterfly or something with Owen's mm -hmm. name. And that just like, you know, makes my heart so light, you know, because it's, it is a heaviness that you just feel so sad. Like they're just more time between when you last saw them and everything, but you know, it's such a different life and it's, you never would have thought it would happen this way but you know you'll find a way through and eventually hopefully feel like you know you're able to talk about your child in whatever realm you end up in but if you want to be an advocate we love having people with big mouths at the bush <laughs> 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 and like uh, all the behind the scenes people too we have some people very organized you know we need them all so um, and any ideas you guys have we're always open to them of course because we all I still have more ideas, but I'm going to message you yeah. on Instagram. Because we're new, you know, we kind of have the flexibility of like, we don't have a program in place yet, so mm -hmm. we can take new ideas and try them. And, um, you know, we're starting to get some sponsor money coming in for things that we really want to work on. So, yeah, we definitely appreciate any connections or any events. That's all awesome. yeah. 
if anyone needs rainbow clinic training or you know we call it pregnancy after loss training let me know we can give you a code if it's not available anymore but like i like to just get people exposed to that and like especially if it's just like an individual like if you work with parents and you just want to know how to speak with them but if your hospital wants to actually become a clinic we can also help you guys with that process when that starts happening again so that's amazing that's so amazing so amazing i can't wait to share that information (laughs) we love it because you know how it is like if you went through pregnancy after loss it's horrendous and it can be beautiful but it's mostly just so freaking scary and like yeah. knowing that your care provider at least understands that and is connecting with you and like remembering your baby and there's so many ways it could be a little bit better, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have um one of our moms in our support group who, um when she listens to this, she'll probably know it's her, but she's doing about two weeks and she lost her baby um, at full term, had a heartbeat and um she was pushing and it just wasn't happening and then the baby started to go in a little bit of distress so they took the baby you know they took her to the operating room did a c-section and he was never able to be revived and now she's two weeks away from her uh her rainbow baby on the c-section and she's like desiree like i and it's not going to be okay until i have a baby in my hands Mm -hmm. crying and i said i i don't blame you at all and i don't know You know, I don't know what to say. I just said, like, maybe make a little countdown, you know, keep your mind busy every day. Um, but there's, you know, I don't really know. What, there's nothing I can really say anyway to make it better. But, yeah, what a really traumatizing experience that pregnancy after loss uh, for families. Yeah. I was in shell shock with that yeah. for a while. Like, after he was born, I heard him cry. Mm-hmm. He was obviously very happy and all that but like it's so hard that you don't even understand like did this baby really make it like it, you spent so many weeks worrying that they weren't and then they finally like I didn't think he was gonna make it either until he was there then yeah that was like oh wow he survived and then you worry about you know other things but yeah worse, yeah well, no I don't believe I, mean, I think in general but it's even worse as a lost mom you know yeah very mm-hmm. um helicopter mama over here but can't blame us no not at all (laughs) not at all well good luck to your friend i am excited i i'm sure it's hard for anyone to be excited like i I hate watching people be pregnant anymore but i'm like i'm excited but i'm also like oh until the baby's out but you know what I tell her? I'm like, somebody has to, or I tell families, like, I'm going to be the cheerleader. I'm the positive one. If you want the optimist, here I am. I am very optimistic um, because in my heart of hearts, like, I just, obviously, I don't know, but I know, but I just feel like this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I'm I'm here for the cheerleader. I'll be the cheerleader. Like, you got this, girl. One more yeah. day. <laughs> it is, Dave. Well, for me, it was hour by hour, I feel like, with the pregnancy, but. Probably. Yeah. I definitely I would try really hard to like envision him being born like I had even on Pinterest a board of pictures of little boys with their moms and things that just made me I was like it's gonna be us oh my god yeah until he was here though it was really hard to even believe yeah Yeah. so that's why we do what we do and it's also necessary you know the like i said you're more at risk so you do need better care and one of the first steps actually for the clinic is to try to help you figure out what happened with the loss if you don't have the full understanding of the cause 
so they can do a better, you know, tailored care to that. Like it might be an right. issue that you're having that needs to be. So yeah, you can feel in better hands in that situation too, which all helps with mental health as well, which is a big thing yeah. nowadays. So yeah, I've definitely, I've supported, um, I remember one mom in particular and she was in her pregnancy after loss and she kept having decreased fetal movement. So she was scared to death. She just kept going back to the tri- ER triage and <laughs> they said, you know, we're going to give you some anxiety medication because you're coming oh, here gosh. so much. But yeah. At the same time, like if she's not feeling fetal movement, you know, she's got to come in. So it's no, that's not yeah. okay. We need a rainbow. Yeah. Plant. That's the hard thing. <laughs> yeah. It's really give them the training at least. <laughs> It's free right now. They can take the training. (laughs) That's not how you want to treat a patient. No. Well, thank you. Thank you, Anna, so much for everything you've shared and everything you're doing for the lost community. And thank you for sharing um, your story of Ellen with us. You can follow her on Instagram at stillmyson to find the latest information on opportunities for you to be an advocate as well as see her and her sweet family. If you want to send some love to Anna, email us at storyteller at theblindsided.com. Thank you for listening. We will see you next episode. Thank you so much for tuning into the latest episode of the Blindsided podcast. We truly appreciate your support and time you spent with us. If you have a personal story you'd like to share on the show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can send us an email at nicoleattheblindsided.com or desiree at theblindsided.com. For more episodes, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. Just search The Blindsided Podcast and hit that follow button. You can also connect with us on social media too. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Blindsided Podcast. We love engaging with our listeners and hearing your thoughts on each episode. And before you go, consider leaving a rating and review for our show. Your feedback helps us reach more listeners who might find value in the stories and discussions we share. Once again, thank you for listening and being a part of the Blindsided community.